we wake up, we are one step closer to heaven, one step closer to actually seeing the Master bring that crown of life uh, to us, one step closer to being able to join and sing with that great chorus in heaven. That is our hope, that is our uh, whole heart, and we're so grateful to be living, serving, and working uh, toward that day. We're going to focus this morning on three important thoughts about baptism. Three important thoughts about baptism. Before we get into these thoughts, by way of introduction, let me mention that when it comes to sin, we are all sinners. But God has appointed a way in which we begin a relationship with Him wherein we can receive initial forgiveness and then have a fatherly and a family relationship with, with the Father so that we can beg Him for forgiveness uh, as we move uh, toward heaven. We're all sinners, but God has, has brought us a plan that will help us to come out of the world and enter into His kingdom. Baptism is a big part of that plan. Let me say, if you have not yet uh, named the name of Christ and put Jesus on in baptism, then our love is for you. Our prayers are for you. And we hope and pray just as soon as you, in your knowledge, feel that it is the time for you to step forward and put Jesus on and begin your journey to heaven, please know that we love you. We are uh, rooting for you. We are praying in your behalf. Let me say to those of us who have been in the kingdom, let us never treat these subjects as commonplace. It's an evil thing. Hebrews 10 29 says that it's a dangerous thing to, to count the blood of the covenant wherewith we were sanctified as an unworthy thing or an unholy thing. The things of the Lord must never become commonplace to us. We, never, we can never become dull of hearing, Hebrews 5, verse 11. With these thoughts in mind, let us give our, our minds to three big ideals. The first is baptism serves as a dividing line. And then secondly, there is some controversy regarding Baptism, and thirdly, baptism can serve as a reminder for us as well. So these three ideas, a dividing line, some controversy, and then a reminder for us all. First, let's notice that baptism is definitely a dividing line. A dividing line. This is not unusual because God has used water to divide and to separate in times past. You might recall that in Genesis chapters 6 through 9, God used the, the flood waters uh, to stand between the old world of sin and the new world that Noah and his family came out from the ark and they were able to enjoy. So those flood, flood waters stood between an old world and a new world. You might recall in Exodus uh, chapters uh, 13 and 14 that God divided the Red Sea and in a sense those waters of the Red Sea uh, stood between the bondage of Egypt that the people of God have been enduring and then 
the new world, the new world of freedom, first of wandering in the wilderness and then eventually on into the promised land. But those waters of the Red Sea stood between bondage and freedom. You remember that Naaman, 2 Kings chapter 5, he was cleansed of his leprosy. And those waters of the Jordan River stood between his leprosy and his healing. And finally, as he dipped seven times in the Jordan River, God cleansed him of his leprosy. You recall that the Pool of Siloam served in a similar way. John 9, the man who was born blind. And Jesus had him go and wash in the Pool of Siloam. And he did, and he returned seeing. Those waters of the Pool of Siloam stood between his blindness and eventually his seeing. It was God that granted uh, the gift, but he had to go and wash uh, in the Pool of Siloam. So in the same way, in a very similar way, the waters of baptism serve as a dividing line. Let's notice that for just a couple of minutes. Notice that baptism stands between the sinner and salvation. Baptism stands between the sinner and salvation. Notice Jesus' words, Mark 16, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that does not believe will be condemned. Notice that there is a he in that verse who will be saved. Who is the he in this verse who will be saved? It is the he who first believes and secondly he is baptized. Suppose we were to substitute instead of the word saved there, let's put in uh, a new uh, iPhone, new iPhone. So uh, suppose it read, he who believes and is baptized shall receive a new iPhone. We would have no problem understanding what we must do to receive a new iPhone. And so if we can appreciate and understand the equation and, and as it relates to a physical blessing, then why can't we uh, understand and appreciate the equation as it relates to a much more important thing, a spiritual blessing, a much more important thing uh, such as salvation. And there's no reason why we can't. He who believes and is baptized uh, shall be saved. And then also we notice uh, Peter's statement in 1 Peter 3, uh, 21, as Peter had been discussing the, the waters uh, of the flood back in Noah's day. And he said, 1 Peter 3, 21, the light figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the appeal to God for a good conscience by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is the right hand of God. Now notice the statement there, very straightforward. Just like Mark 16, 16, so 1 Peter 3, 21 is very uh, straightforward. Baptism does also now save us. Now let's suppose this. Let's suppose we had a whiteboard up here and dry erase markers, and we wrote down two statements. The first statement says this, baptism does also now save us. But then the second statement we put, baptism does also uh, not save us. The first one says now save us, and the second one says baptism does also not save us. And then we ask someone, we give them the eraser and say to them, erase the one that you do not believe. Erase the the statement here from this board that you do not believe. Well, if they erase the top statement, then they are erasing uh, the word of God. And that's not good. But then if they erase the second statement, then the word of God stands. And it's very true that baptism does also now save us. 
Jesus speaks to us about salvation in, in no uh, unnecessary terms. It's not complicated. He, he's straightforward with us. In fact, in every passage where you find baptism and salvation, baptism always comes before the salvation and not after it. it it's, it's never the opposite. For example, Ananias, Acts 22 in verse 16, came to Saul, who had a change of heart. He was now a believer in Christ. He was very sorry uh, for his sins. Ananias came and said, Now, why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Notice how the washing came, comes after uh, the baptism. So baptism is uh, a dividing line and it stands between the sinner and salvation. But before we leave this thought, let's notice this also. The baptism uh, stands between the sinner and becoming a Christian. Stands between the sinner and becoming a Christian. The word Christian means to belong to Christ. The suffix there, I-A-N, has that meaning. Belonging to Christ. Christian. Christian. Belonging to Christ. And Paul has a discussion about this, this matter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 10 to 13. You remember the church at Corinth, some in the church at Corinth, were having the problem of following men and not following Christ. And so they actually said, some were saying, I am of Paul. In other words, I belong to Paul. Some were saying, I am of Cephas. I belong to Cephas. Some were saying, I am of Apollos. I belong to Apollos. And then Paul asked this question in 1 Corinthians 1 and 13. He says, is, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And of course, they were not baptized in the name of Paul. But notice the two things that are necessary to become a Christian. Two things that are necessary to put yourself in a situation where you now belong to Christ. The first thing that had to happen was Christ had to be crucified for us. And then secondly, we have to be baptized in his name. When we appreciate the cross and that appreciation, that knowledge sinks deep into our heart, it forms a desire in us to be forgiven, to come in contact with that cross, and then part of that response is to be baptism. So we belong to Christ. So baptism stands between not being a Christian and becoming a Christian. And then notice this idea also. Baptism stands between the sinner, and a sacred relationship with the Father. It doesn't get much more sacred than the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice Jesus as he gives us the great commission in Matthew 28 and verse 19. He says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son in the Holy Spirit. It, it, it is very sacred. It's, it's a relationship that's formed with the entire Godhead. There is but one God. God is God in three persons. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we are baptized, God becomes our Father. The Holy Spirit resides within us. And Jesus becomes everything to us. He's our older brother, but he's also our master He's our Savior. He's everything. He's our Lord. He's everything to us from that point onward. 
In Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27, Paul talks about this sacred relationship that is formed. Galatians 3, 26 and 27, he says, For we are all the children of God. There it is. We are all the children of God by the faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Paul is saying this among a lot of things. He's saying this. He's saying you are, you Christians in the area of Galatia, you are presently the children of God because of something that happened in your past. And what was that that happened in their past? Well, they had listened to the word of God and they have been baptized into Christ, having put on Christ, and thereby had become children of God. Don't you see that baptism stands between the sinner and that sacred relationship with the Heavenly Father? 2 Corinthians six seventeen and 18 says, God desires to be our Father and that we be His sons and daughters. Baptism stands between uh, that being a reality. And then this thought on the dividing line. Baptism serves as a dividing line. Baptism stands between the sinner and the death of Jesus. And this is huge because all these other blessings that come with baptism could not be possible except that Jesus died on the cross. Except that God in his love and grace and mercy sent his son to this earth to die for us. Baptism is that dividing line, stands between us and the death of Jesus. We read from Paul's words, Romans 6, 3 and 4, Know you not that so many of us, as we're baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. And we know that as Jesus died, he shed his blood. In fact, we know that God in his tremendous wisdom, foreknowledge, He selected a form of death for His Son, wherein there would be no doubt that blood would be shed. That is the method of crucifixion. If you study Acts 2 and 23, you find out that the death of Jesus was no accident. It was part of the determinate foreknowledge and counsel of God. He selected a long, long time ago the method by which Jesus would die for the sins. And it involved the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9 verse 22, there can be no forgiveness or remission of sins. And you see, baptism uh, puts us into that death, into that shedding of blood. Notice a couple things about this. Hebrews 9 14 says that the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. The blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Well, baptism is said also, as we've already read in 1 Peter 3 and 21, baptism sets our conscience right as well. 1 Peter 3, 21, the light figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, But the answer, the appeal to God for a good conscience, we are coming to God in submission and we are saying, Lord, we know that only you can bring that good conscience to us, bring the forgiveness and peace that we need in our life. And we are coming, we are humbly submitting and asking you to do this for us. 
In Revelation 7, 13 and 14, the question is asked in heaven, who are these that are clothed in, in, white, in white clothes and where have they come from? And the answer is given. They have come out of a great tribulation and they have washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Well, the washing comes, the washing of our sins comes because of the blood of Jesus. But baptism makes that happen as well because as we just read a moment ago, Ananias told Saul of Tarsus to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. You see, baptism stands between us and that precious shedding of the blood of Jesus. In just a few moments we'll be able to assemble around the communion table as we do every first day of the week. We remember. We remember. But baptism is the act of obedience that helps us first come in contact with that precious time in which Jesus was crucified for the world. Now, in order for our body to heal, our body has got to come in contact with the right nutrients, the proper nutrients, and it can heal and maintain health in a reasonable way. So in the same way, our soul needs to be healed. And the only way for that healing to take place is we've got to come in contact with the blood of Jesus. And baptism places us into that blood, into the death of Jesus, into that crucifixion. Let's move to the second part of our lesson, and that is some controversy. Baptism should never have been a controversial subject because... It's as you see, and we could go on and on. We could go on and on and on with just simple statements about baptism and salvation. But there are some questions that have arisen, and so we will address a few of these in our next section of our lesson. First question is, don't you realize that what we're teaching here, and we're not really teaching, God's teaching, and we're just relating it, but don't you realize that what you're teaching goes against a lot of religious teaching? And we do realize that, and I say to that, first of all, it is a mystery. It is a huge mystery. The only thing we can say about it is that people have been led away from the Bible. But it still is a mystery. Still is a mystery. Why there are many people who can read the Bible, even read their New Testaments, and not see plainly that yes, belief is a condition of salvation. Yes, repentance is a response to the love of God. But then so is baptism. Why can't people see that? Why can't people see that God has used water in the past, almost preparing us in a sense that there's going to be water involved in the new covenant as well. It is a mystery, but it's also a teachable moment. It's a teachable moment because Jesus does teach us in Matthew 7, 13 and 14 that there is a broad way and a narrow way. Many find the broad way, but few find the narrow way. It's a teachable moment. We need to learn that in many cases... When the world is saying something, then if we go in the opposite direction towards Scripture, we'll find the truth. 
So yes, it is true that many do not teach baptism properly. And it's a sad note. It's a mystery for sure. I'm sure some of it has to do with bias. Some of it has to do with simply not paying attention. We were coming back from Huntsville yesterday. And all of a sudden, traffic stopped. All of a sudden, traffic stopped. We were stuck. Both lanes were stuck. And so you you begin to notice people. We are in the right-hand lane. And so one person in the right-hand lane decided to get in the left-hand lane for apparently no good reason. But once that one person got in that left-hand lane, guess what a lot of other people started doing? They started going into the left-hand lane. And so there they go. We just stayed in the right-hand lane. But then we just eased on, eased on, until finally we saw a, 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 an orange sign. You know what the orange sign said? Left-hand lane closed half a mile. Guess what all those in the left-hand lane wanted to start doing? Of course, they bottled it up even worse, getting back into the right-hand lane. What I'm saying is, look how much thought they gave to giving, getting into that left-hand lane. Hardly any thought. And it may very well be that's about how much thought people give toward salvation and toward baptism. They hear other people say, well, it's not necessary, so that's just fine with me. It must not be necessary. The guy on TV saying it's not necessary, it must not be necessary. The guy in the commentary says it's not necessary, it must not be necessary. That's just about how much thought people give to salvation. It's a mystery. It's a tragedy. But the Lord has laid upon us the burden of trying to get the truth across uh, to the masses of people. And then someone might ask, well, aren't you putting more trust in water than you are in, in God? Well, think about, again, Naaman. The power to heal Naaman of, a, of his leprosy was not in the Jordan River, but in God. But also, it was in doing what God said do. And the same thing with the blind man in John chapter 9. The power to heal and to, to cure the blindness was not in the pool of Siloam. It was in God. But it was also in the fact that that was not going to happen. The, the blindness was not going to go away unless he went and washed in the pool of Siloam. Naaman's leprosy would have not gone away except that he dipped in the Jordan seven times. The power is not in the water it's in God, but it's also in doing what God says do. It's just that way in baptism. It just cannot be any more straightforward uh, than that. And then somebody might say, well, aren't you, aren't you diminishing grace, God's grace, by uh, you know, bringing out these verses about uh, baptism? And of course, that's not the case. God has set it up a long time ago, and Paul mentions it. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. God's grace operates when man's faith gets busy and, and obeys. God's faith goes into operation whenever man's faith gets active. Faith is not faith until you first believe and trust and then obey. Trust and obey is how it goes. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, we read in verses 29 and 30, Hebrews 11, 29 and 30, that by faith... The walls of Jericho came down after they had marched around them uh, those required number of times. God gave Jericho as a gift. It was his gracious gift 
to God, to his people uh, to bring them victory over Jericho. But until their faith became active and marched around those city walls and blew the trumpets and so forth, uh, until their faith became active, God would not act in their behalf. So it is even today, not just in faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, but in all of life, God is anxious to give us His grace, but our faith must be operative. Our faith must be active. Our faith must be submissive. Our faith must be ready to go and do His will. Someone says, well, aren't you uh, taken away from Christ? You know, Christ is our Lord, and isn't it all about Jesus? Isn't He everything? Well, baptism doesn't take away from Jesus. It, there's a lot that concerns Jesus and baptism. First of all, who brought baptism to the earth? Who, who brought the subject to our minds? Would we even know about it if it wasn't for Jesus? Of course not. Wasn't it Jesus who said, Mark 16, 16, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He gave us uh, the great uh, commission. We learn from Philip in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, that when you preach Christ, you eventually preach about Believing and being baptized, Acts 8 and verse uh, 12. Baptism is a beautiful portrayal of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's Paul's whole point there in Romans 6, 3 and 4. Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and was raised the third day. He died for our sins. We die to sin. We come and are baptized, buried in water, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. That is, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. It's a beautiful portrayal of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It forms a picture for us. That's why when we are observing someone being baptized, it's not a time for hooping and hollering. It is a time, it's a sacred time, because that baptism is taking us back to the cross you see, when we're baptized, we're baptized into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, into the very church of Christ. Acts 2, 38 says we're baptized in the name of Jesus. So baptism has very much a lot to do with Jesus himself. We're not diminishing Jesus. We're just simply doing what he asks us to do. Well, what about the example of Jesus? Jesus was, Jesus was never, somebody might say, Jesus was never baptized for the remission of sins, but he was baptized. Well, Jesus didn't believe for remission of sins. Jesus could not do anything for remission of sins because he was not a sinner. Jesus' baptism was more about pointing to his death, burial, and resurrection. Our baptism is about coming in contact with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Well, let's move now to the third part of our lesson, and that is baptism serves as a reminder. You know, we read in, in the book of Acts people being baptized for the remission of sins several places. But then we also read Paul's letters and others. They're writing to Christians. Paul's writing to Christians in Rome, Romans 6, 3, and 4. He's writing to Christians in Colossae, when he mentions baptism in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. Baptism serves as a reminder to us. 
For example, notice in Colossians 3 and verse 1, Paul says, If you have then been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the earth. Baptism serves as a reminder that we have made a commitment to Christ. When we come out of that watery grave, we have made a commitment to love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And whatever it is that He asks of us from that point on, we will heartily do it to the very best of our ability. It reminds us of the commitment that we have made. In Romans 6, again, Verses 17 and 18, Paul says, God be thanked that whereas you were the servants of sin, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you, being then made free from sin, you have become the servants of righteousness. You see that? We must understand that when we come out of the water and have forgiveness of sins, we are baptized into a life of service to our master. We made the point, Several weeks ago as we was talking about the cross, there's a couple of things about a man on the cross. Okay. A man who is, who is being crucified on the cross, he cannot look backwards. And another thing about a man being crucified on the cross, his life is no longer his own. We are crucified with Christ, Galatians 2 verse 20. When we're baptized, we're crucified with Christ. We are no longer our own. All belongs to our Lord. It reminds us of our commitment. But as I said a moment ago, it reminds us also of that precious time on the hill of Calvary when Jesus gave himself up for us. It's a beautiful time in that he is resurrected from the grave on the third day, but it's also a very moving time because we see our Lord suffer so greatly in our behalf. Baptism ought to remind us of that. I think we ought to have more sessions where as a group or even as a class, every so often, we just sit and talk about how each of us were baptized into Christ and when would that happen, what were the circumstances of that happening. Baptism is meant as a physical act not just to put us in contact with Jesus, not just to make him our head, but also as a reminder, a visible reminder that we made this commitment to him. Once we make that commitment, our decision on Sunday has already been made. We're coming to church. Our decision as to what kind of life we're going to live, we're going to live a holy or unholy life, that is made when we come out of the waters of baptism. We're going to live a holy life. It's all made, and we live up to that decision as we go into the world and, and share Jesus. Some of the last words of a family member are precious to us. If one of your family members close to you said, I really want to be buried back at the old home place, you would probably move heaven and earth to make sure that that burial took place back at the old home place. Some of Jesus' last words were concerning forgiveness of sins, belief, and baptism. 
Will we not take these words to heart, both in obeying Jesus, but also in sharing the good news about salvation? And so we've endeavored this morning to see three important ideas about baptism. It serves as a dividing line. Yes, there is some controversy about it, but it really shouldn't be controversy. And then finally, it reminds us both of our commitment we made to Christ, but also of the precious death that was um, done in our behalf. Can we assist you this morning with any spiritual need? We'd love to do so. We'd love to do so. It may be that you are ready to put Jesus on in baptism. A very important decision. Not to be rushed, but it is to be studied. It is to be prayed about. It is to be thought about. It is to be uh, uh, discussed. So if you're ready, we'd love to help you uh, this morning uh, to obey your Lord. Whatever your need may be, come right now as we stand together, as we sing.